listen, doctors, we have our pluses and minuses like everybody else. And one thing we are, we are not humble people. And we are not people that are going to say, hi, my name is Asante Dixon. I have a problem. Right. People that sat in class and you knew you didn't understand what the hell they were talking about with this loop of Henley. I mean, it just looked like there were just ions floating left and right and everybody's smiling like, yeah, yeah. But in your head, you're like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And instead of you saying, you know, I need help, yeah. you buddy, I'm good. And I got, I got to warn you guys, I just had some hospital sushi. So if you hear any like background noise, it's going to be. Uh, no, I eat that all the time. It's fine. That's fine. You said you had some what? Hospital, hospital sushi. sushi. <laughs> hospital sushi. <laughs> who, who thought that was a good idea? To be honest, it's not that bad. Well, let me introduce our, our guest of honor, Dr. Sante Dixon. He is a radiologist wearing his uh, nicely pressed scrubs. He's also a keynote speaker and pre-med and medical educational coach at Ascension Medical mm. Educators. Are you like you're working now, sir? Sorry to uh, interrupt you, but we're happy to have you. Well, thank you so much. And um, yeah, we're working, but um, the next patient is not for another hour or so because we share cath lab space with cardiology and they are booked. So uh, nobody can get on the table now. So my my, uh, my uh, sidekick here, he misspoke. He said you're a radiologist, but I understand you are a neuro neuroradiologist or interventional radiologist. So I'm both. I, I do both. So I am neuroradiology trained. Uh, right. So that I did my radiology stuff, and then I did two extra years of neuroradiology training at Stanford under Scott Atlas, who was the president's medical advisor, if you remember from the Trump administration. Yeah, sure. I do not know him as a politician when I train, <laughs> but you know. Um, and who do you who do you and, dislike them? Who do you dislike more, uh, infectious disease or nephrology? Man, he loves ID. Come on. As a radiologist, well, <sighs> I that is them. a question because both services can be equally as challenging depending on the <laughs> area um, from a diagnostic radiology standpoint uh, infectious disease definitely is more pain in your butt um, from an interventional uh, standpoint I gotta go with nephrology uh, because yeah I get patient population here and my patient population everybody's got renal disease right um, Infectious disease comes hand in hand, I understand, but maybe the infectious disease doctors here, maybe their antibiotics are stronger because they don't come to me as much. I don't drain as much abscesses for ID as I'm putting in lines and tubes and stuff for kidneys. Yeah. yeah well, I will tell you what, I, I utilize my IR brethren all the time. In fact, just before I got on here, I was asking one to uh, drain a prosthetic bed abscess. So your work is very much important, but why don't you tell us, I mean, you were telling us a little bit here about your background. Tell us your overall, not only your background, but kind of what sets you apart, not just your day-to-day -day work, but a little bit about your coaching for collegiate students, pre-meds, 
med students, residents, and even Dr. Coleman, you know, as you know, as you can probably tell with his dress needs some help. So maybe you can even help uh, attending physicians as well. So, so I, um, started a company mentioned medical educators about four years ago. I went to Georgetown for medical school and I had the pleasure of training under and being taught by the best medical educators in the world, Dean David Taylor. And all medical students, if you've come out of Georgetown Med in the past 30 years, you are either by him or your curriculum and your learning methodology is influenced by him. Um, and later on, I left, of course, I left Georgetown Med School, went on to, you know, more training. And then later in my life, I just said, you know, a lot of students and a lot of physicians have trouble with medical education. And that is right. different yeah. than, that is different than going to Kaplan and learning how to get questions right. That's different. What we're talking about is how do you multiple question? Um, if you are taking an examination and they say you got to read the next 700 pages by month, certain people can still get a 96 on that exam and they're in the club in the bar mm. all weekend. And then there are the majority of students who they live in the library or live in their house or at their desk and they can't break a 75. Right. So no, I just, just so I interrupt, but isn't that just as simple as just picking C? Yeah, well, right picking C all the time is a viable option. So what we focus on is not like a Kaplan-based uh, methodology. What we focus on is using your behavioral habits, modifying them, and using your style of learning in addition to teaching you what is the system of medical education. That's something that, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of medical students, residents, and fellows, and me, myself including, included, we go through this process every year. We're training right. like seals, but we don't really know even much about how the system works. Right. Right. So that's why I started the company and I reached out to him and I said, hey, I got this idea. And of course, I was very worried that he would say no, because over the years, I know there are a lot of people who have gone back to him and said, hey, I got an idea and I want to use you. And luckily, he thought that it was a brilliant idea. And we now are partners in Ascension Medical Educators. Yeah, I was that one student who uh, didn't really go to class and hung out and party, did enough to pass. But you know, I think by the time you get to medical school, it's kind of late to figure out how you, I mean, not late, but I, and this is probably the, uh, the impetus of what you do is you, I felt that I should have been able to learn how to learn much earlier in my career. And that would have helped me as opposed to, you know, get into medical school and just trying to figure out at the last minute, you know, in, in your education overall, right. either how to take a test or how do you digest information. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, listen, I went to Cornell for undergrad and, you know, I was like, OK, well, if I can get into Cornell, then that must mean I'm a good student. But what I realized quickly after you got into Cornell basic sciences, sciences with all these other students who were very good um, students is that you realize what your limitations are and you realize that you had been functioning all those years of junior high and high school. Yeah, you might have been on the honor roll, you know, 
you might have been in all, you know, advanced placement or in, I was in New York State. So in New York, we call it Regents Track, you know, but you still were just relying on just your stick to Yeah. That's what you were relying on. You were relying on the majority of people in high school, you know, come five o'clock. They were like, yo, I'm out. Let's go get a drink. Whereas you were like, all right, I'll study till seven. So that extra right. two hours is what pushed you over. But it didn't mean that you knew how to study. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, you may have mentioned, and it's, I'm going to be serious for a second, that, you know, some people are locking themselves in the library. And that's how I was. But I was always amazed at friends that were would study and then say, I'm done. You know, in med school, I pull all nighters. If you have an exam Monday morning, I'm studying until Monday at four in the morning. Right. You know, and that where my other buddies would be like, Sunday night, eight o'clock, I want to watch some TV and go to bed. And so what I understand, if I understand what you're correctly saying is that, uh, you know, I may have been someone who was good at memorizing, you know, things, but then, um, and that's what kind of got me through. But so how do you uh, like assess? So, you know, Clinton's saying, hey, look, by the time you get to med school, let's say you should already know how to study, but you're saying, no, you're, there's no time like the present, or it's never too late to kind of change uh, how you approach. Because I think what you're talking about is not necessarily studying for life, but studying for exams, uh, steps, uh, board certifications, whatever. Is that, is that what you're really looking at? You're really looking at folks <laughs> how, to, how to pass these tests as you so would- we have, we have different programs. So let's break it up. The first yeah. if you will, or the first group, that would be the pre-medical audience. That's everybody who's trying to get into medical school. That yeah. includes everybody who went straight from high school, college, and and they're going directly into medical school. That, that includes the people who did you know, um, secondary degrees um, uh, or additional degrees, let me say, after college, and then they're coming back into medical school. Uh, that also includes those who graduated college and then they may have worked for 10 years in finance, something completely different. And now they want to get back into medical school, right? That's the first group. Then the second group would be the medical students, the interns, the residents, and the fellows. Uh, with focus on medical students, because the medical students really are, they're in the belly of the beast. Yeah. Uh, we all know what it was like, particularly in those first two years. It was straight Taliban country trying to survive. You know, yeah. Right. And then the third group would be physicians who are out practicing and they need executive coaching. Um, and some of them need help with board preparation themselves. Uh, whether they're having difficulty passing boards or they just need that extra step of coaching to help them to pass the boards the first time. Because believe it or not, you have attendings who have gone through med school, internship, residency, fellowship, and they're still coming to you saying, I don't know how to approach this multiple choice question. Right. Right. So that's really we're focusing on what, I, what my goal, my idea when I started this company was really to use my bruises and bumps that I acquired throughout my medical training to make it easier for the next people. And especially, listen, doctors, we have our pluses and minuses like everybody else. And one thing we are, we are not humble people. And we are not people that are going to say, hi, my name is Asante Dixon. I have a problem. Right. People that sat in class and you knew you didn't understand what the hell they were talking about with this loop of Henley. I mean, it just looked like they were just ions floating left and right. 
and everybody's smiling like, yeah, yeah. But in your head, you're like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. And instead of you saying, you know, I need help, yeah. you buddy, I'm good. There's some nephrologists out there who probably still have no idea about the Lupa Henley. So, I mean, what's I the Lupa Henley? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, now we're we're all doctors of color. Do you find that um, you know, if you look at the statistics, you know, only probably less than five percent uh, doctors coming out of medical school are are doctors of color. Um, you think that's you know what you're dealing with now, as far as the education, pre med education, has a lot to do with that, as far as you know, the assumption that medical school is is out of reach or the the workload or what do you see like the main deterrent for these disparities in, in, in education? Well, contrary to popular belief, one of the major reasons why you don't see significantly increasing numbers of physicians of color getting in and graduating from medical school um, is really because students of color are dissuaded from pursuing careers in medicine uh, by the time they're in their senior year of high school or probably by their sophomore year of college, right? So a huge percentage of the attrition is mental right. Right. from the system that is dissuading people. It's not like they're saying, no, you can't do it, but in conversations, in interactions, they're essentially indoctrinating you based on what you look like, whether or not, you know, hey, you know, you, you, you probably want to consider this or, right. you know, or that's what you want to do. Dissuasion is number one. I, I find this very interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt because, um, so obviously, uh, you know, Clinton is clearly my uh, brother from another mother, as they say, but me being Indian American, we're actually, and as you already know, probably overrepresented in medicine. Right? We're the biggest minority in medicine. So for us, it's very different right? than, let's say, the African-American, Latinx, and Native American population. So we, are you, so I, I wonder, I, so I'm just going to pose it to you this way. Like, who is they? Who is dissuading you? Like, for us in our communities, it's very much present because the first generation that came in this country, a lot more doctors and my parents included. And so if you look like something like one in nine doctors in the United States are of Indian origin, right? So there's no shortage of Indian Americans or Indians or Asians in medicine. So who is, who, when you say they are being dissuaded or they are dissuading, who is they that are dissuading? Um, because certainly other ethnicities are getting in. So is it, is it a, um, is it because there's no mentors, you know, like Clinton will tell you, he did a lot of mentoring uh, for younger um, uh, pre-meds and college kids and high school kids, you know, and that really makes a big difference, made a big difference for me. So is it a lack of mentors? And that's something that we need to as all focus on since we want to improve uh, the representation in medicine or is it something more nefarious where you think that people indirectly are just dissuading people uh, of certain ethnicities from going into medicine and what, what what can we do to change that if that's the fact okay so there are two days that you're asking so one right. is who's the day that's dissuading and right. then the is who are the day that are being dissuaded exactly. um, so the first um the first question is who is dissuading and that really is systems and what do systems i always have talks about i do a lot of healthcare equity talks and people sure. always talk about systemic racism systemic uh, sexism you know but what is system systems are made up of people so if you went into high school you're talking about teachers you're talking about guidance counselors 
You're talking about mentors that are put together with students to help them. You're talking about coaches that, you know, their primary goal is to help you be better on the softball team, but they also are there to mentor you through your life. And they may have conversations with you where they're like, hey, you know, you should come to practice more, but I understand you're in school. I hear, what do you want to do? Oh, you want to be a doctor? Come on. You know, I mean, let's be more realistic, especially you want to be a softball star, right? You want to go to college for, for, for softball. So well, focus, on that. focus less on, on academics, perhaps. Yeah. yeah even, do- even parents are like, um, you know, I find that, um, you know, at least parents in our demographic group, they focus so much on sports and, and other activities and not really med- medical education, like as opposed to when uh, my kids are in private school. You know, all the other kids were going to like Kumon and all these other extracurricular mappings. Yeah. And I think it's like you said, it's a system, but, uh, you know, is there's no one day. There's okay, no right. one Clint, person. So I'm going to be controversial. I mean, are you saying that the African-American population uh, doesn't believe their children should go into medicine? I don't think that's well, the I didn't case. say that. I'm just saying. Are you saying that. They're, not, they're not emphasizing it? So I'll make a joke. We always joke as Asians. We say, you know, growing up, we were told sports is a waste of time. It takes away from your academics and academics is everything you know and i'll say i had three choices in life it was doctor dentist or doctor that's, that's what i could be um you know and that is kind of the the, the typical mentality but you know I, we take it for granted that maybe we have these role models but i, I had been blissfully unaware or not blissfully you know ignorantly unaware uh of these systemic uh issues at play and i think as physicians as practicing physicians unfortunately because lack of my hair you can see 15 years plus you know, we realized uh, that medicine is better if you are well represented across all demographics in the United States. So uh, it's not that, you know, just like you said, you're very passionate about uh, uh, racial equality and discussing race, uh, sorry, uh, medical inequality, discussing uh, inequalities in medicine, you know, so are we. So we're right up with you. So I think both of us, you know, really want to use our platform to kind of figure out what can we do to attack this problem. Uh, but you know, you're continuing, you're saying that, hey, there is a systemic uh, issue at play. And I think a lot of people aren't aware of that. And a, a, an important addition was, yes, family. Family plays a role in dissuading right. them. Uh, we do it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, sitting at the table at Sunday, you know, I, I come from an immigrant family. You know, I'm first generation born in New York. My family is originally from Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. And so that Caribbean background, and when you sat on Sunday uh, dinner, at everybody's house, they would go around and ask everybody what they're doing. You know, what's going on? What's the plan? And certain people were like, all right, go ahead. You know, all right, we expect and other people were kind of like, well, you know, you know, you know how you are. So family plays a role too. But you, you mentioned something that's very important. You said, you know, Indian, Indian and Indian Americans are a significant proportion of physicians in the United States. And I would add Nigerians are clipping at your heels, but nevertheless, um, we have to ask ourselves, what is it within the Indian culture that students have this expectation right. compared to other populations of color where that expectation does not exist? And there are many Indian American students who grew up in New York or Bethesda or LA or wherever, 
and they are being dissuaded in school no differently than a black American is, but there's something within that child's brain that is able to buffer that dissuasion because of their home life expectations. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you, I mean, and you're being from Trinidad, I mean, you probably have a lot of, uh, as you know, large Indian diaspora in Trinidad, so you may know, you have a lot of friends, you know the culture, um, you know, uh, but it is, uh, and I joke, is because we have no sports abilities. I mean, that's a joke, it's something cricket, but I know since you're Trini, you probably love cricket, Um, but, It is the mentality of, of that, hey, you know, your, your focus and your, um, your success lies into your intellect and not in your uh, athletics. And I'm obviously uh, overreachingly generalizing, uh, right. but as we know, there's always some truth in generalization. So there is that, you know, there is that mentality or that culturally that, hey, academics are a big part of our life. Conversely, uh, for a long time, um, uh, athletics was not, was not considered a big thing. And like I said, I mean, growing up, believe it or not, it was considered a waste of time. You know, it's like, that's time taken away. You could be a tutoring or, so it's a, it is a cultural thing. Uh, but not having said that, we are not immune to uh, systemic uh, racism or systemic processes that may prevent other things. So I can assure you that, that, that you know, like that you, you said very elegantly that that it still exists among all minorities in the United States. Um, but that I can only speak uh, for me, but I think, you know, certainly we know that the medical community in, at large is only as good as uh, we are representing all the people in the United States. And there's still certain demographics, uh, Latinx, African-American, Native American, uh, to name a few that are underrepresented. And I think, you know, until that's rectified, I don't think the medical system in the United States will truly be as effective as it could be. I'll give you another example, right? So we talked about, uh, you know, and of course we're broad brushing here, but, you know, yeah. just for the conversation, uh, the audience uh, understand, we are broad brushing here, but uh, so you have Indian Americans uh, who are dissuaded, but they have an internal buffer that's built from their own family, their family expectations, their cultural expectations that it's kind of in one ear or out the other and out the other. Uh, Whereas black American men, uh, that dissuasion is potent. Um, But black American women have a tendency and ability to process that dissuasion differently. They're able to, and it's probably secondary to black American women holding up the entire black race for the past five years Mm -hmm. that when she is told by the guidance counselor or the teacher or the softball coach or whomever, that no, you should think about this or you should think about that. There is an internal buffer within her brain that she says, I hear you, but I still want to do it. This is what I want to do. And I can do it because I guess, you know, hold down a people and a family. I mean, you can definitely say to yourself, I can do something that other people say I can't do. Right. And we also, um, I think I can't think of any other culture where it's it's cool not to be smart or to, you know, to rather look good than as far as black men, as far as to, you know, that's it's frowned upon to to study and be smart. Listen, I I give you an example. My seat, my I graduated Georgetown. Here I am a doctor that summer. So I'm a doctor now. Right. I don't know anything. Doctor. I went back home to New York that summer. And I can tell you that summer, I almost threw everything away that summer because one of my boys 
I don't know where or what. I, the story still doesn't quite make 100% sense. But he showed up in a brand new Mercedes 500 big body S-Class. Mm-hmm. And we rode. That summer was a wild summer. I don't know what happened, but I just went left. Right. And <clears throat> got caught up in the whole... You know, we're riding this S-Class. It's summertime. It's hot outside. I, I, I can't tell you, but I can tell you I had to, at, there was a point that summer where I had to kind of like grab myself and be like, whoa, whoa, you just graduated Georgetown Medical School. You sacrificed blood and tears to get mm-hmm. through here. And now you up in the Bronx off the Cross Bronx Expressway at three o'clock in the morning doing what? Right. What? So that's a perfect example of how we are in a culture where cool sidetracks so many of us. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in immigrant populations, statistically, young men would not end up off the Cross Bronx Expressway at three o'clock in the morning doing God's no God knows what it just statistic. I'm not saying they're not doing it, but statistically right. they're not that and looking to get into medical school at the same time. Right. So, I mean, that's obviously why a program like yours um, uh, and, you know, Clinton also has done tutoring. I mean, but I think we were talking about all medical schools in general, but we kind of shifted our talk, but, but that just makes it even more worthwhile and why something, what you're offering not just how to study and pass the exam and maybe don't just pick C, but also providing uh, a mentorship. I think uh, people don't realize how powerful that can be. If let's say someone's African-American or someone's Latinx or Native American, and they don't see a lot of physicians in their community of their own uh, that look like them. And Clinton and I have talked about that before. And I can, you know, I can speak to physicians, you know, and I have a, I, I think I can relate to people of all different backgrounds, but I, we all know that it can be very helpful uh, to certain patients. They may listen to someone who looks like them who has similar experiences like them, you know, and I think that just shows how powerful what you're offering here uh, can be, uh, not just for passing exams, but also for mentorship and also just getting people from that pre-med to medical, uh, uh, you know, getting into the next level. I mean, it's one thing if you're a physician, you need life coaching and you need to pass your exams, but there's a lot that comes before that. And it seems like yours, what you're portraying here, I think we've talked about before, there's extra roadblocks in certain uh, ethnic communities uh, that make it even more difficult or even impossible in some ways uh, to pass that hurdle to become finally an attending physician. Well, I'll, I'll tell you another thing, which is that when I started this idea, when I had this idea, my idea was based on black men, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm a black man, I know the struggles. And, but to this day, um, the majority of our students are not of color. Right. And that is also because one. Resources is always a problem. And so if you need to pay for something, obviously, you need the money to pay for it. And that's always helpful to have it. Uh, And number two. There seems to be more of a realization that if you want to get somewhere Sometimes you got to pay for it amongst majority students. Minority students often have a mentality of, well, I'm already paying to go to school. 
So now the idea of me paying to go to Kaplan or Ascension Medical Educators or something on top of that, that is a difficult additional cost to process because of what, what Clinton was saying in terms of priorities and education is viewed as something that is vital, but all of the additional and supplemental um, steps that need to go together to make success isn't completely integrated into a lot of minority communities, mm. right? And so you know what, what yeah. I was, I was going to say, sometimes that, that that's misplaced coming from a former sneakerhead who spent a lot of money when I didn't have money on things that weren't really things that I needed, right? Like, um, you know, whether it's sports, clothing, you know, cars, all that stuff. You need you to say really money on haircuts, I just wanted to say. Haircuts, you know, looking good. Yeah, you you don't have that. the delayed gratification, like, you know, and I, I suffer from, I suffered from it, but I think um, we, 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 we excuse ourselves out of the, the fight too early, I think. 100%. My partner, Dave, he always says, you know, oh, I spoke to such and such student. This student really, really, really needs help. And boy, this is an easy one. I can help this student easily. And he might say, all right, I'll cut you a discount. I do $35 and, you know, I'll work through for you for, you know, two hours for $35, you know, which is a consult that normally might be, you know, upwards of four or $500. And that student, $35, I don't know about that. I'll get back to you. But then when they put their feet up, they got the newest Jordans. And we know the over $200, right? And so it's what you're saying. So what I'm trying to do is, I don't know how much success I will have in trying to change overnight the mentality of some communities of color but I am dedicated to impacting. So what I'm working on now is trying to create networking with corporations and schools that are looking to assist and I can show them our track record of success. And so if they say, we'll pay for 20 students, I wanna be able to go into those schools and say, give me 20 of your best students. Right. Don't worry about the cost because you know, this supermarket is covering it. I mean, it's not rocket science, you know, companies and, and groups do this all the time, but all I'm right. yep. doing it, um, because I don't want people to start giving me that whole, you know, they're suffering, but they're like, oh, $35. No, I can't, I can't do yeah. $30. I just want to be able to give it to them. Do you think um, like social media has a role in this? Like, like the uh, reason why I asked, because uh, I, I like it. I, I don't want to say love because I don't love another man, but your social media is is is, is really entertaining. We love and, him, it's okay, and and funny. Um, and but I know the the point is to try to reach a, a target audience, um, to try to motivate, and that's kind of what we do too, right? Instead of just talking about boring ID stuff, you know, we try to make it uh, you know entertaining as well. Right. So, um, social media has been a working progress for us. Um, we have a dedicated social media uh, page on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Instagram, if you follow at AME Docs, you'll be able to follow us on Instagram. Then I have my separate Instagram uh, account that is my personal Instagram. And my personal Instagram, I'm all over the place. Um, sometimes I'm 
showing videos of an interview I may have done on TV, you know, concerning serious stuff. Uh, and then like I did one last week on uh, the effects of pornography. Um, I, a classic. <laughs> that one got a lot of love. And um, I released one just this morning, just talking about my experience with TSA over the weekend. Um, I'm just all over the place, but we are working to really um, build the Ascension Medical Educator social media. But as you guys know, unless you're buying followers, that's an organic, takes time. Yeah. Takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's slow and we're working on it. We really are trying to work on it um, to, to figure out what's the formula to get people to understand that we exist. I tell my partner all the time, who is a genius? I say, Dave, if nobody knows you're a genius, then nobody knows you're a genius. In other words, there's so much noise competition out there. Of course, it's the, the money phone, the cat playing with yarn, all kinds of nonsense. It's like, how do you <laughs> cut through the important stuff? So if you want people to know you're a genius, you have to find a way to get out there. And I, I haven't figured the formula out yet. We are growing slowly. COVID didn't help, but, you know, COVID is slowing down now. We are actually just having to speak about, you know, um, uh, starting again our lectures where we go to colleges and go to medical schools to give our talks. That's so hopefully, you know, we will, you know, start uh, start um, kind of getting out there again with the social media. It's awesome. Well, we'd love to get on the road with you and help out. Like uh, I can uh, show everyone how cool I am as a, a middle-aged doctor and then, you know, grandfather qualities like Dr. Siraj has. You know, ah, people yeah. can aspire. Man, I'm just hitting my prime, baby. Come on. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, don't put me in the same boat as you with that white beard. All right. Just. Uh, it's Dwight. Is Dwight? But I want you know. Right I, around I your mouth. Quite sure the uh, the tenor of how we're going to talk. We never know. That's why we keep it organic. But I want to say I really appreciate you know your thoughts here because, um, like I said, Clinton, I really feel passionate about uh, discussing uh, medical inequality. I mean, we saw it firsthand with COVID nineteen, uh, but then seeing how it you know if it trickles down into medical education opportunities, et cetera. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's 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 vitally important, and I think. Uh, you know, we got continuous discussions, so uh, we want to thank you so much for coming on today. Tell us a little bit about your social media handles since we're talking about social media. Where can people uh, find you? Uh, Ascension Medical Educators, you can look us up online at www.ascendmed.com, like Ascension, uh, but A S C E N, Amazon Mary ED.com. It's kind of like, you know, a New York style, you know, you ascend it. Without the D. <laughs> ah, I like that New York. That's, that's like the Boogie Down Bronx kind of bird. Right. We'll, we'll put your uh, your social media handles on our YouTube page for sure. And Thank then, you. Uh, what else you got going on today? So I know we're taking up your time. We're coming to the end here. But uh, you said you got a case coming up? So today has been um, one of those days where I have, I'm all dressed up and no place to go. We share the cath lab with cardiology. And today's Monday. So, you know, Monday, all the weekend cases are going so I actually um, have an unfortunate young woman upstairs who has PE, pulmonary embolism, and she's got extensive IVC and left leg um, clot. So you're doing the thrombectomy then? The problem is she's 493 pounds. Mm. 
this is something that I speak about. Um, I did a, a, a lecture about this during COVID about how obesity really affects your your outcome in the acute care setting. Yeah. So all I've been going back and forth because even though the table limit is near 600 pounds, um, that doesn't account for all the equipment that has to go on the table. So she is now, she can't get on the table because she's too heavy, um, which leaves her where? I have to deal with the OR. I have to see if vascular surgery could potentially take her because the bariatric patients, they got to get on the table somehow. Um, but I really feel bad for her because this is a woman that, you know, she should receive care like anybody else, but I literally right. can't her because can't she's too, right? <clears throat> and even if she wasn't, if you look at her body, and this is something we could talk about at another time, her body contour is so wide that my table is so narrow, she would fold over the side of my table. And that's what I was going to yeah. ask. Use these tables have a weight limit around 400, 420 pounds, right? So that, that, uh, so that my table they're saying is 600. Oh, 600. I've got between my controls, you know, sure. all of IV holdings, the batteries, all that are taken into account also with the table. So that's why it's 600. She's 493 or 496, but she's too heavy. Push that limit. And that's right. just the table. What about all the supplies that you need to do the procedure and catheters, lengths and all that? And I mean, wow. Hey, listen, I mean, they told me essentially you don't want anybody more than about 480 on the table. And she is about 13 or 16 pounds more than that. And she's young. And I, so that's one thing I'm dealing with. I have today is spine fracture day and I'm a neuroradiologist. So I've got two patients came into the ER with uh, lumbar spine fractures. So I'm going to do kyphoplasty on them. So that's where we uh, go through the back, two trocars into the back. We expand the vertebral body and then place cement and yep. we, strengthen the structure of the bone. Um, I did a liver biopsy this morning on an unfortunate young man who's got widely metastatic disease from, from I don't know where. Uh, he says he's lost 65 pounds in the past three weeks. Um, so that's kind of like... That's the kind of stuff that if I was a um, high school kid or a college kid and I, I saw that one guy is doing all this cool stuff, that would like... That's, that stuff is amazing. You got your hands full, but we, we thank you for being uh, you know, a mentor right. for, for the young kids. Dr. Well, Asante Dixon, we really appreciate, uh, you know, educator extraordinaire is the way we look at it. Um, lover of what, Calypso and, uh, and, uh, and Roti and maybe it coming from Roti Trinity. is good. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I know you like Roti. Calypso I like when I was in Trini. Uh, we, I eat more curry than you, doctor. I'm sure you do, man. They love the good curry over there. That's I probably eat more curry than you. I, I actually, um, yes, and Soka. I just came back from a from a Miami party. My uncle had a party, and I wish I could share the video with you guys. But I want to say thank you so much um, uh, for having me and talking to me. And I think we should continue to talk, and I think we should continue to try to work together because Definitely. I think as are doing is important for in informational dissemination, yeah. but have uh, parallel tracks here that we should probably intersect. So we should try to get together and, and really see where can we make the most impact on both sides, what I'm doing, what you're doing and both. Definitely. Definitely. 
Dr. Sonny Dixon, well said, well said. This is Dr. Seward Slugger and my illustrious co-host, Dr. Clayton. needs a haircut. But until next time, be well. Rate, subscribe, listen, recommend Daily Dose. See you next time.